0: Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, welcome, 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 welcome to the program. Uh, beautiful Monday here in Pittsburgh. It's uh, May 21st. Unbelievable. I'm sorry, that's an old person muttering to herself. (laughs) How quickly the days are flying by. I just. I know it's fruitless, but wouldn't you like to be able to wake up on a beautiful morning like today and not have something intrude upon its glory as quickly as does the monstrosity now occupying. The White House, um, boy, he's on a he's he's starting to come unglued. Did she just say starting? <laughs> yeah. So before we get to that, because that of course is uh, consequential. Let's uh, go to a few little things to start us off in a better mood on this beautiful Monday in May. And that is two little items that caught my attention uh, this weekend that in case you didn't see them I just want to pass on to you. You will recall the uh, unbelievably revolting display that uh, went viral on Twitter and uh, it was this jerk uh, New York attorney in Midtown Manhattan in a sort of mini fast foodie establishment, berating uh, a manager there because some of his one of his employees was speaking Spanish to uh, a, another couple, and he went on the most extraordinary, despicable. Geez, I say that word a lot these days. Rant. And uh even threatening to call ice because they're speaking Spanish. <laughs> Although in this day and age, I suppose speaking Spanish is almost a capital crime, huh? Uh yeah. So this jerk has since been uh identified. Uh I believe He has already suffered a number of consequences. This is what happens when you go viral and uh, now the whole world knows you're a hateful SOB. So because he was such a xenophobe, because he was such a racist, uh, I just love, I love stuff like this. For I don't know how many days now, outside his apartment building, there has been a Mariachi band done up in full costume, and they have the police have made them go across the street from his uh, from his apartment building. But there they are, as far as I know, night and day. and they are playing wonderful Mariachi uh, music. Like La Cucaracha, La Cucaracha. Never understood the rest of the words. But how funny is that? You got to love it. You just, I mean, to me, that is simply wonderful. Other people are going at him in uh, in other more uh, serious ways, uh, attempting to get him disbarred. Uh, attempting to have him uh, removed from his uh, where his office is situated. Um, I'm not sure that that hasn't happened, I, or, or else his lease is not going to be renewed, but he's really. And while I, <clears throat> I often have said in the past that I get a little uncomfortable when um, things go viral and there's sort of a... Uh, you know, a mob that uh, that is formed and that takes down people without due process. Uh, in this case, we all saw what happened, and I can't think of anything more fitting than for him to be serenaded by mariachi bands for the rest of his natural life. Okay, so that was number one. Number two is, oh my God, who knew? Did you know that you can patent a smell? (laughs) Yeah, you can because someone just did and you'll even recognize the name. Uh, It's one of the few (coughs) uh, smells ever, ever trademarked. So it now does actually have, has been granted a registered trademark by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And you would recognize this smell. I got a feeling in a blind, I think in a blind test, you would definitely know the smell. If you're like me, you might know it but have trouble with it being out of context naming it. But, man, everybody knows that smell. I'm going to first describe to you what, this, what on the uh, application Uh, for the trademark, the uh, owners of this smell, (laughs) how it is described. Maybe that will help you if you don't already know what it is. It is described as a sweet, slightly musky vanilla fragrance with slight overtones of cherry combined with the smell of a salted wheat-based dough now i got to tell you my olfactory abilities are not so uh are not so specific but i and i that sounds you know like you hear uh, descriptions about uh, wines you know every time i hear them i i i just my eyes start rolling around in my head cuz i don't know what any of that means Anyway, I would not have described the smell this way. I would not have known how to describe the smell. Uh, but the sweet, slightly musky vanilla fragrance with slight overtones of cherry combined with the smell of a salted wheat-based dough is the smell of Play-Doh, ladies and gentlemen. Play-Doh. Mm, yep. I just had a Play-Doh story flash in front of me. I'm not quite clear. This goes way back into my childhood. Okay, I'm not going to tell it because I'm not sure, but I do seem to recall thinking I'd found little bits of Play-Doh on the floor and picking them up and trying to mold them a little bit, and they were like animal turds of some sort. What was that? It's a vague memory, see? It's not shouldn't have done it, shouldn't have done it, shouldn't have done it. But something about Play-Doh, mistaken, animal turds, childhood, trauma. I'm not sure. I'm glad it has receded to the point that I can't even remember the story. Okay. So those are two little things to make your day a little bit better as I sort of look around the other stuff that I've uh, brought in today. I I don't know that I can continue to be as lighthearted. Oh, here's something I really like. This is about my hometown. You know how, well, we've talked about this before when, when when you're when the town you love and for me there's two of them uh, Green Bay Wisconsin and Pittsburgh Pennsylvania both two huge uh, NFL towns of course oh oh that's me shut up sorry um and uh, I got this from my brother who was proud when he saw it and sent it to me and Susan and I believe his children, wanting to inculcate them, even though they weren't born or raised in Green Bay, the uh, pride that we all feel in uh, in in that wonderful little spunky town. And it says here, the city of Pit- Green Bay is universally known because of the Packers, Um, In fact, with the Packers celebrating their 100th season as a franchise this year, they have been around longer than the NFL (laughs) has been around. Um, But it turns out Green Bay is also known uh, for something else, and USA Today outed uh, Green Bay, I believe, uh, last week. Uh, And Green Bay is number one. The category, I'm about to tell you. Green Bay is number one and in fact, repeat, repeating, number one in the nation. As the drunkest city in America. Woo! That's my hometown. I'm going to be there this weekend. That's right. Yay! Green Bay, the heaviest drinking metro area in the heaviest drinking state, Green Bay, Wisconsin, this is from USA Today, has the highest excessive drinking rate of any American metro area. says right here that some 26.5% of adults in Green Bay drink excessively. Uh, over a quarter of the population, making it uh, the only metro area in Wisconsin, the highest drinking state, with a higher excessive drinking rate than the statewide average. Woo! Yeah. Uh, The national average for excessive drinking is 18%. So while 18% of Americans drink excessively, I just want you to know that I'm from the town where 26.5% drink excessively excessively. <laughs> However, it says right here and I want I want credit for this too. The, a high excessive drinking rate does not necessarily increase the likelihood of alcohol related accidents. That doesn't seem like it makes sense, but it makes it's true. So, oh dear. Um, it says the estimated number of bars and restaurants, um, is, uh, there's 205 bars and restaurants per 100,000, which I guess is really excessive. I used to feel, you know, downtown Green Bay is just a little town, it's a little town downtown, and then it got eviscerated by, um, you you know, shopping malls. The first of which was built by my father, by the way. Um, and and I even as a kid thought maybe there were a lot of bars. I mean, you don't know, you have no way of but it just seemed like every other building <laughs> was was a bar. Um, okay, so here and it's not just I what do you think this is? So they did this, they have ways of measuring, I don't know, don't ask me what. But the 10 top, no the 20, you want to hear the 20 drunkest cities in America? Because I I don't know, Pittsburgh didn't make the list. Guys, you might think we're heavy drinkers here, but. <laughs> All right, number one, second year running, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Number two. Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Number three in the country, Appleton, Wisconsin. Number four in the nation, Madison, Wisconsin. Do you believe that? And you haven't even ever heard of Eau Claire. Yeah. Yeah. What's there to do up there when the, you know, when the winter comes on in uh, September? Huh? You stay home, you maybe, you know, snowshoe out to the nearest bar. I don't know. So, yeah, the first four, Green Bay, Eau Claire, Appleton, and Madison, (laughs) Wisconsin. Number five, Fargo. Do you believe this? Okay, so I think there's a pattern emerging here, and it does have to do with weather. Fargo, North Dakota. I don't know what they're doing there. And back to Wisconsin. Number six, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Number seven, Missoula, Montana. We're still up in that northern tier of states. Number eight, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Number nine, Wausau, Wisconsin. Number 10, La Crosse, Wisconsin. Number 11, Mankato, Minnesota. Number 12, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Number 13, Iowa City. Number 14, Dubuque, Iowa. So, okay, Iowa comes in with two, and they're the southernmost. Not much to do in Iowa either. Number 15, Sheboygan, Wisconsin. I've named every city in Wisconsin. Have you? I, I have named every... I, is there a city... Oh, Milwaukee. I have named Milwaukee, for God's sake. Okay, the one city you knew. Uh-uh. I've named all these others. Okay, Sheboygan coming in at number 15. Number 16, Watertown, New York. Number 17, Lincoln, Nebraska. Number 18... Fairbanks, Alaska. Number 19, another Iowa makes the Ames, Iowa. Iowa's got three. And number 20, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So there you have it. Uh... What is how many are those? So of the top twenty drunkest cities in America, Wisconsin has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten is the top twenty. Okay, that was a little geographical tour of the upper tier of uh, the United States of America, and specifically uh, the great state of Wisconsin. There we go. And yet I have to say this. I mean, so you would think like Packer games, that the drunks must just be... Obviously, there must be a lot of drunk people at Packer games, and I think I've seen them. But they are the happiest, funniest drunks in the universe. I mean, seriously. And they are under, I think I've told you this, the Packers don't fool around when it comes to anybody mucking up the Lambeau Field experience, which they want to be always family-friendly. And so... You don't hear much swearing and you don't see horrible drunkenness or negativity because all of those things will get you thrown out like in a second, in a second. And everybody knows it, that if you're removed, if anyone complains, they make it very easy to, if anyone complains about somebody not acting like a good Packer fan should, they, the security comes, they get you, and out you go, and um, you don't come back. You are, your, your season tickets are confiscated. And because there's such a long, 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 long waiting line for season tickets to uh, Lambeau, um, those tickets immediately go to the next person on the list. So nobody acts up nobody acts up at these games they've done it they've shown this is not just something i wish the steelers would do the same it works and then you get control um i don't know if around here people will i mean in their wills they pass on season tickets but in green bay that's how most people end up getting them so they stay in families for forever. Um and uh I remember that we still have some and and nowhere near what we used to, but my and and my mother lets us her children uh you know give them to friends on occasion and I've had a few friends from Pittsburgh go to um packer games um especially if I just bumped into Bill Hillgrove this weekend actually. And he said, "Hey, I'll be in Lambeau uh, in August." And I didn't. Re- I I don't know how that. So that's a preseason game, uh, Steelers at Lambeau. And um, so I thought, hmm. Those are the kinds of when, when I have given tickets. Gave one to my chiropractor. I <laughs> gave one to my contractor, and their friends. And then when they go, I tell them, and my mother says, if you screw up, if you so much as say a four-letter word, and we lose these tickets, you are dead. You are dead. So everybody who gets the tickets is warned and warned again, do not in any way jeopardize these tickets, which this family has held since forever. And so far, that's worked. So, okay. Ah, my favorite tweet of the weekend, here it is, from someone named Alexis Isabel. And she says, It truly amazes me how we can't regulate guns but we sure can find every way to regulate vaginas. Now, I want to say that I think she has lit upon something that sort of says a whole bunch of things. It gets into how women are still considered not wholly human, but rather possessions of the state or men and that their bodies unlike male bodies are to be regulated by the state um a lot of people say what is the point of regulating guns there are so many of them out there how can we even begin to get a you know our hands uh, around this well you know what there's as many vaginas in this country as there are guns, I think. Maybe not. Guns probably do outnumber vaginas. And yet that doesn't get in uh, the way of uh, legislatures and uh, the Congress and all kinds of governmental entities at uh, deciding what a woman can do or not do in regard to her own <laughs> internal body parts you guys can't even imagine it can you try to imagine how does a guy get empathetic on this one I don't know because you ain't built like us but try to imagine you had a magical body (laughs) try to imagine your body was much more magic than it is and that you had the capacity to nurture would be life what would be human in in your body and imagine that that's not easy in any way and imagine that you are told that you will have no personal agency over your body once you become pregnant. Once you become pregnant, your body becomes pretty much controlled by the state. Can you imagine, I'm just asking, can you possibly imagine that? I'm not talking about pro or anti-abortion. I'm talking about your body (laughs) is the most, it's as personal as you can get. I'm talking about your right to control your body. Well, we sure know how to do that. damn, if guns aren't some kind of insolvable problem. And with the gun thing over the weekend, the idiotic, unbelievably idiotic things that have been said by specifically the lieutenant governor of Texas, by Ollie North, the new idiot president of the National Rifle Association, who blamed it on what? Uh, video games, a violent culture, and Ritalin. You know what's funny? Do you know that Ollie North is has made a lot of money selling or marketing one of the, helping to market, let me get this exactly right, made a lot of money helping to market one of the more violent video games that's out there. Call of Duty. He's on record as telling people, it's a rush! It is more violent than you can imagine! It's the real deal! This is Ollie North. And now he says that that's the reason. It never, I mean, there are things that are... You know, that sounds, yeah, I bet it is. Those violent video games, they, uh, kids play them, they get addicted to them. It makes them less sensitive, it makes them desensitized to, uh, violence and killing. Now, my son has always been into those games. He might be the sweetest, gentlest human being you'd ever want to meet. But, that's him. On the other hand, to poke some holes in this argument about violent video games, violent video games are played not just in the United States of America, just want to let Ollie and some of the others know that, they are played all over the globe, especially wherever you will find men, males, they love them. And these males all over the globe are playing these violent video games, And yet, if you look all over the world, they're not shooting up <laughs> They're not shooting up schools. Why am I laughing? They're not shooting up schools all over the world. No. That's like uh, as American as apple pie or cherry pie. I don't know where these, seems to me some think it's cherry, some think it's apple. For all I know, it could be pumpkin. I mean, if violent video games caused school shootings, then uh, I don't think they would be just here. I'm just saying. It must be another factor, right? Okay, let's take that factor out because that one doesn't hold any water at all. Oh, actually, I think the best thing I've heard is about what to do about this is what uh, Arnie Duncan said over the weekend. Um maybe he was just you know riffing because uh, and maybe he's walked it back by now because I don't know really how'd you how would you do it, but I like it. The fact that it is Arnie Duncan uh, who's education secretary. Uh, under Barack Obama, uh, a guy who was serious about education and making it better and making good education more available, as opposed to, of course, Donald Trump's Secretary of Education, a woman who knows, well, let's not, don't even go there, just leave it alone. Arnie Duncan, ladies and gentlemen, has suggested that parents keep their kids home until the schools are safe are safe until not until the schools are safeguarded, until gun laws are passed. Now, obviously, that sounds like, are you kidding me? How's that work? But stop and think of what you've seen with, like, the teacher strike in West Virginia and the others that have popped up. Mass action. When a whole bunch of folks agree that they will act together, damn the torpedoes, damn the circumstances, that they're going to do it to show their muscle and their power. And they do this to get something done. So, if all over this nation, parents pretty much shut down schools because their kids simply weren't going, that would create unbelievable turmoil. And it would focus the country on this issue, even more so than the Parkland teens have done. But it would be building on that. I, Duncan said that he didn't come up with the idea that he saw it Uh, posted by a former employee of the education department. And he immediately said, my family is in. He said, this is brilliant, but tragically necessary. What if no children went to school until gun laws changed to keep them safe? Parents, will you please join us? Now he has you know since said, when asked, "How's that going to work?" seriously?" Um, he said, "Look, it is provocative. there's no doubt about it. But it is conceivable <laughs> that this ongoing human-caused tragedy aided and abetted by the failure of our government, that something has to be done that's never been done before that shakes everything up. Now people have said, fine, rich people might be able to keep their kids home because they can hire someone to look after them or tutor them or whatever. And so other people have said, yeah, but this could work if the whole community came together. Of course, it's totally impractical. Of course, but hey, (coughs) more of our children have been killed in school this year than have died in combat And as you know, we're fighting wars all over the place, right? We got troops deployed all over, kingdom come. More of our children are dying just going to school, dying violently than our soldiers are dying in combat. When the world is upside down like that, and when we've gotten to almost view it as a normal thing it is time to do something dramatic drastic here's the thing in poorer communities or for poor families you need to have organized places where they, kids, can go and be supervised. I can see communities getting that together. I can see volunteering. I will leave right after the show, and I will go and superintend where a lot of kids might be and maybe do some teaching if I need to. But, you know, if the whole community gets up and makes this happen, this is something that could happen. Since we have no leaders in this country anymore, since things have to happen from the ground up, then I think audacious ideas are the ones that we should listen to and should figure out how to make happen instead of this sense of absolute powerlessness and defeat while our children are being terrorized, has to end. This is the kind of thing that can end it. Arnie Duncan right now is working to curb gun violence in Chicago. So this is an area that he is already all in on. And he has said, somebody come up with something else, I'm open. I'm open to other ideas. I'm open to different ideas, but I'm not open to doing nothing. It's time to think radically. The founder of Teach for America says she's on board this boycott idea. The superintendent of public charter schools in New York City said, I'm in. Let's pick a date. Start a movement no politician can ignore. Duncan says, what we have lacked is political courage, and we need to create tension, the tension that allows us to break through. I don't know. I'm throwing it out there, too, because I think it is something this audacious that must happen. This all hands on deck. Families, parents, children, people that don't have children in the school systems, people, all of us you know, retired and old people coming in, setting up ad hoc schools, getting it done. I don't know. Or are we just going to keep on burying children? I mean see the there was a teacher that was killed in Santa Fe who had gone back to work because her husband has four stage four terminal cancer she needed they needed more money he still has terminal cancer he just doesn't have his wife or the exchange student from Pakistan. Can you imagine her excitement at coming to the United States? And we gave her a real, real example. Welcome to the United States of America. And you thought Pakistan was a dangerous place? Welcome to the United States of America, sweetie. Her body is being shipped home to her parents. And we just keep on keeping on. It's mind-blowing to me. Mind-blowing. Okay. So Donald Trump, excuse me, is now tweeting. uh, If if you're not on Twitter, God bless you, because you don't have to wake up to this crap. It's just beyond belief. Over the weekend and this morning, this is our president. It makes you weep. I mean, I weep with shame and embarrassment and humiliation. I have never felt like this in my life. I hope never to feel like this again. one of his tweets, actually said, I hereby demand. I think you would be hard-pressed to find an utterance from any man who has held the office of President of the United States that has ever begun with. I hereby demand. That's what a tyrant says. That's what a king, I guess, can say. That's what an autocrat, that is not what a president says in this country. I hereby demand. And what it was he was demanding was that The Justice Department, which is supposed to be independent of presidential proddings, he was demanding that the Justice Department do his bidding. And I'm sure the talking heads are going berserk today about it, but this could, I mean, quite clearly... Um, This is, again, the word that is used constantly now, unprecedented Um, and could set off a, a, a constitutional crisis akin to the Saturday Night Massacre. So things are starting to move fast. This president now is clearly scared. And maybe it has to do with the fact that we are learning every day more unbelievable things that his son, Donald Jr, was not only talking to Russians to get dirt, he was making deals and talking to people from uh representing uh the Saudis and certain uh you know middle eastern uh emirates um And this is before they took office. This is illegal activity of just mind-blowing proportions. They were grifting. They were looking for money. They were looking for deals. They were looking for help in taking Hillary down. And um, here is a professor, University of Texas School of Law, who specializes in this kind of stuff. And he says, I cannot think of a prior example of a sitting president ordering the Justice Department to conduct an investigation like this one. That is little more than a transparent effort to undermine an ongoing investigation. And he went on to say that anyone who kowtows to this is not doing their job and in fact they should resign and if they resign, then we're in Saturday uh, Night Massacre mode. So um, just so as you know, that this next week could be even more consequential, more frightening than past weeks have been. And in, also, if you have noticed, as the summit with North Korea gets closer, this guy is being rolled over and played, Trump, by the chinese uh remember this that was his whole campaign practically China China, I'm gonna get China, and then he supposedly slapped a whole bunch of you know tariffs on him and stuff like that. He's lifted every single one. Are you aware of that? He has he's not only lifted them, he's now actively trying to help the Chinese economy are you aware of that? So the Chinese are playing them like a fiddle, and there is no doubt that the North Korean despot is licking his chops to do the same. We are in dire territory, folks. Barbara tells me that The Onion has run the same headline after every mass shooting. And they've done it again. Just the dateline changes. Santa Fe, Texas. Here's the headline. No way to prevent this, says Only Nation, where this regularly happens. like I was saying, violent video games, uh uh-uh, and Ritalin, (laughs) violent culture, mm -mm. Uh uh-uh, lots of violent cultures in the world, lots of people playing video games, Um. no, we are unique, we are shameful. Speaking of shameful and moving closer to home and Harrisburg, the capital, another dysfunctional capital. Okay, You know the name Joe Scarnati? Uh, Joe Scarnati is the pro tem of the state senate, uh, president pro tem. It's a high leadership position. He is, of course, a Republican because the leadership of the legislature in Harrisburg is wall-to-wall Republicans. Joe Scarnati, it turns out, uh, along with some other folks, including, by the way, Scott Wagner, ladies and gentlemen, who just won the Republican Primary to run in the general election uh, in hopes of un- unseating Tom Wolfe, our governor. So it was Joe Scarnati along with his pal, Drew Compton, his chief of staff, and GOP gubernatorial nominee Scott Wagner, ladies and gentlemen, because of... Um, laws that frankly are relatively new because this state had no ethics laws at all for government, at all. This state was like the wild wild west up until very recently when some of these laws came in and they're weak. But all of these gentlemen now under laws had to disclose uh, publicly that, with a filing that they All were given about, you round it up, $4,000 in uh, travel and lodging and hospitality by an outside entity. Now, the reason you have to report this stuff is if you're in a position of power and you're getting gifts from people who have business before the state. That, well, that could look like what? A bribe. Yes, a bribe. So all three of these guys did mention, strangely, all of them, that they all had gotten about $4,000 worth of stuff from the same entity. And that entity was, actually you'll recognize this, Churchill Downs Incorporated. Yeah, Who knew? Churchill Downs Incorporated runs what? The Kentucky Derby. So, a reporter went to Scarnati and he said, because the law does not require them to say when they got this 4,000 in stuff, and where they got it and what it was for, no. It just, which a lot of other states do. No, it just had 4,000. Churchill Downs, Inc. So a reporter says to Scarnati, "Uh, I don't suppose that that maybe 4,000 was like... uh, Really good tickets to the Kentucky Derby and hotel and uh, fancy parties and stuff. And here's what GOP leader Scarnati said. I don't have uh, the dates in hand here, so uh, I really can't tell you. But uh, the reporter persisted. Um, I mean, it's Churchill Downs, Inc., and uh, the Kentucky Derby was just like last weekend. Um, Did you... uh, Were you at the Kentucky Derby? You must remember that. And Scarnati said this. I would think I would... uh, remember being at the derby but i i quite frankly am not a horse racing man in many ways i care about the industry here in pennsylvania and he walked away shameless shameless Okay, so what is the, uh, why would the Kentucky Derby be trying to buy favor with the uh, leading Republicans here in the state of Pennsylvania? Oh. Turns out they're trying to acquire a racing venue in Erie, Pennsylvania. Scarnati. they lie through their teeth. They even lie when the lie is so patently absurd. So he couldn't just say. He couldn't tell the truth. Yeah, uh, yeah, I had, they gave me tickets to come see. Uh, mm-hmm. Couldn't say it. That's a real honorable man, right? Wow. Hey, this is uh, old news, but uh, it's really old because it's um, from 1974. (laughs) But I'm thinking with the Saturday Night Massacre coming back into play, you know, the 70s might be uh, upon us in many ways. So this happened to be on one of those on this day in history, and I don't know why I I don't remember this, but this is from May of 1974, and it was uh, in a hearing where the representatives of the Department of Defense of the United States acknowledged to Congress that. Our Defense Department had participated in, here's the quote, extensive rain-making operations in Southeast Asia. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't rain-making, you know, which can be meant to mean other things like the movie The Rainmaker. Mm -mm. They really mean rain-making. And they admitted, this is because a journalist, of course, uncovered it, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist working during the Vietnam War, Seymour Hersh of the New York Times, first reported on it, and of course the DOD denied it, sort of like Scarnati, right? Um, That there was this program where we, the U.S., seeded clouds, we put chemicals in clouds that then did increase rainfall by 30%. And we did it to try to muddy up, literally, uh, North Vietnamese troop movements and supply movements. Now, the reason this caught my eye is because I thought, we can do that? I mean, first of all, if we can do that, then why don't we do it when there's droughts? Cloud seeding really works? Up to 30%? Anyway, just two other facts for you. This was the first known use of (laughs) weaponizing weather. Think about it. This was the first, I don't has there been a second? This was the first known use of weaponizing weather in military history. And we did it. And then lied about it. And then it got uncovered. And then we begrudgingly admitted it later. Because that's the way we operate. All of this coming to the front uh, meant that an environmental convention that was held in 1978 that countries from around the world attended banned banned the practice of militarizing the weather yeah Okay. Not a lot of time left, so let me end again on a good story. Yeah, good news. I mean, actually, the New York Times has taken on, I think, Saturday or Sunday, I can't remember which, to actually having a little boxed place on page two where it says the week's good news. And it fits in this little, <laughs> it fits in this little teeny box. But I, and, and I'm not going to, uh, there's two pieces of good news. Um, uh, one about uh, a guy named Ji Boyu. I don't know how to pronounce it, but he's Chinese. And uh, back in 1975, he tried to climb Mount Everest and he ended up, Uh, Not only failing, but he lost both his feet to frostbite. And 20 years later, 1996, he lost his legs to cancer, lymphoma. There's going to be good news? Yes, there's going to be good news. Last Monday, this man, with no legs, finally scaled Mount Everest. I don't know how. It just gives me a little blurb. He's 69, and without legs, he scaled Mount Everest. Man. Wow. The Sherpa, who helped them, said, everything is possible. I have found that disabled climbers work hard. They are very committed. OK. The other good news is, uh, comes from the African nation of Chad, specifically a national park there, that has an ex- just astounding success story about protecting the animals uh, there. Um, the elephant population in this national park in Chad had been, uh, under incredible threat because of poachers, and they have doubled down on their anti-poaching efforts and heightened security, gotten support from surrounding communities, and, There has not been a single confirmed poaching incident for two years plus. The herd of 500 elephants now in the park, which is one of the largest surviving herds in Central Africa, uh, is also home to a bunch of lucky giraffes, lions, cheetahs, leopards, and honey badgers. Six black rhinos were recently flown in from South Africa and the elephant population in this park in the next six years is expected to double to 1,000. So that's a great success story and we can't lose sight of them. (laughs) And we can't lose sight of the indomitability of the human spirit, as the Chinese climber showed us. Um, And we must remember not to give up. We cannot give up. I forgot where I saw it. Somebody said, we are not going to be asked to storm the beaches at Normandy. We are not going to be asked. It was Cory Booker. We are not going to be asked to get on a freedom bus and ride into a frightening environment in Alabama. No, other people did those things. But we are being asked now. This is our time, our challenge, to save our country. And we must, Prevail See you tomorrow and uh, Susan will join us Bye-bye Lynn Cullen Live Monday through Friday from 10am to 11am and archived at pghcitypaper.com The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.